0: Okay, we are in the stretch run of James, so please turn to the end of chapter 4, we're doing the last couple of verses, then all we have left is chapter 5. So, uh, just so you have an idea, some of you might be wondering what's next, and uh, we'll be going back to Genesis, uh, we're going to pick up where we left off. Uh, after the death of Abraham, and we're going to move into uh, this idea of relentless grace because we will see how really dysfunctional God's people can be sometimes, and yet God perseveres with them and preserves them despite all of that. So, James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow... All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let's pray. Father, as we read not just here, but also in the earlier text from Matthew's gospel, our time is in your hands. But we ask that you would accomplish your purposes amongst us this morning, to humble the proud to exalt the humble, helping the spiritually blind to see and to reveal the truth to us. We need to see Jesus as He really is. And we need the Spirit to apply His work to us, to renew us and to transform us. And we ask that all of this would take place out of Your sovereign mercy through Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> I didn't know this at the time it happened, so this I read about this later, but apparently in October 2010, former Wildcat guard Jason Terry got a tattoo. Now you might not think that him getting a tattoo was all that significant, except it was what his tattoo was about. It was the Larry O'Brien trophy. And for those of you who don't know what the Larry O'Brien trophy is, it is the trophy that is given to the NBA champions. Jason, currently on the Mavericks, got that tattoo in the hope that his team would finally win the NBA championship. Amazing that they did, huh? Let's contrast that a little bit with Rex Ryan's New York Jets. This is the third year that I've heard Rex talk about how they're going to the Super Bowl and they haven't gotten there yet. We're sort of used to confidence sort of crossing that line over into boastfulness and pride in the arena of sports. But it's not limited to the arena of sports. We see it everywhere. James saw it. It takes place in our hearts. We're just not on national TV talking about how we're going to win the NBA title or the Super Bowl or anything else for that matter. There's no documentation that someone can pull up saying, oh, this is what you were going to do and you didn't do it. We don't have that. But God knows. The big idea this morning is that Jesus has us And our future in his hands. And James starts off with sort of the bad news of this because prideful ignorance produces presumption. And that's what this text is about presumption. James wrote during a time in which there was great economic prosperity, and therefore there was great mobility. People were moving throughout the regions of Palestine and in other places in, in search of the wealth because the economy was good. if it wasn't good in my local hometown, I would go somewhere else and so some of the Jews who had left Jerusalem, some left <coughs> as uh, you know the Christians left out of persecution, but many left Jerusalem in the hope of a new and better life. Some of those Christians also sought a new. And better life. And so James is speaking to those who were also seeking this economic prosperity. He's going to be a little harsh to them. He uses a formula there that we see also in, in chapter 5, verse 1, this idea of come now, sort of like listen, like hey you. It's a sort of a, a strange little word that, tr- that can be a little difficult to translate. And he enters into what is considered to be a diatribe against somebody. He's laying down the law, so to speak. He's speaking harshly to these people. He says that they say that they're going to spend a year. These people, they had big plans. They had long-term plans. It's not, this is not about, you know, tomorrow I'm going to go to the movies. This is not that kind of thing. This is long-range plan. I'm going to spend a year. There's nothing wrong with planning. There's nothing wrong with looking ahead, okay? Let's not get the wrong idea, but let's follow his argument. We're going to trade, we're going to make a profit. Their plan had a goal, and that goal was to make money. And once again, I'll say, there's nothing wrong with making money, okay? The Bible is not against the, produce, the production of wealth in and of itself, So what really is the problem here? Why is James being so critical in this? Later on in in this passage, we find really what's going on, because they boast in their arrogance. Kind of an odd phrase, an idea. Their, Their confidence, the thing they are trusting in, they are resting in, is their brags. Their boastfulness, okay? So the problem is not planning ahead. The problem is not pursuing a, a decent living for yourself. The problem here is pride, boastfulness, presumption that you're going to be able to do something, sort of like those New York Jets, keep thinking they're going to get to the Super Bowl and never do, and... Personally, I hope they don't. Um. <laughs> okay? Go Patriots. Uh, but we saw this last year with uh, as well with the whole big thing about LeBron James and The show, The Decision, and he decided where he was going to go. And when he chose the Heat and Chris Bosh was there and Dwayne Wade signed up and they had all the, we're going to win not just a couple of titles, we're going to win six or seven titles. And everyone talked about how they were the dream team and they were going to win this year. And they made it to the NBA Finals. And what happened? They They met Jason Terry
1: and Dirk Nowitzki and lost.
0: We can talk all we want, but there are things that we cannot control in life. When we act as if we can, we have moved into arrogance, boastfulness, and presumption. Their confidence, just like the heat or the jets, was in their own ability, in their own plans. They were really relying upon themselves. They were ignorant of the big picture at best. They were ignoring it at the very least. Okay? This goes beyond business. This goes beyond sports. It goes really to kind of all of life. All right. It goes into church ministry as well. Okay. I was always amused at Stalin. Well, Stalin was dead by the time. But I remember being amused reading about Stalin's five-year plan. Now, how many of you? There are some of you who are alive then, and some of you who've read history. And what happened with Stalin's five-year plan? It seemed every year was year one. They <laughs> just kept pushing it out because they accomplished nothing of the plan. So it was just we're always they were always in year one of Stalin's five-year plan. Okay. There are lots of things we can't control. It goes it goes into ministry, and you know we have we have plans, but we recognize that there are things beyond what we want. There are things beyond our abilities that influence our ability to accomplish the things we want to accomplish. Leadership, particularly in the church, is about more than having a great plan. I was amazed. At, I was listening to. Uh, an audio conference on leadership a few years back. And one of the guys, this is a Christian leadership conference. Basically it was, if you have a great plan, people will follow. And I thought, wow, is that superficial. (laughs) You should have a great plan, but having a great plan, or what sounds like a great plan, is only part of the picture. There's so many other aspects that go into this. And just because you have a great plan doesn't mean you're going to succeed. And to think that you are is presumptuous. And so prideful ignorance thinks that our will is ultimate, leading to presumption of success. So James would say to us firstly, know your nature to produce humility. Cuts about their nature. He confronts their prideful ignorance straight on. As the Scriptures say, the wounds of a friend are faithful. He's saying this not to destroy them, but to re- correct them and move them in a more positive, God-honoring, biblical direction. But it still hurts when he says these things. For the first thing he says is, you do not know what lies ahead. Our knowledge of the future is limited. Next week, I imagine the sermon reading will probably—I mean, the, the the scripture reading by the elders will will probably be a parable or a story given by Jesus about the rich man. But the rich man who thought he had so much stuff that he had to build extra storehouses, and what happens in the story is that. Jesus says, you fool, do you not know that tonight your life is demanded of you? He built for the future a future he did not have. We do not know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't, Much less next year. I, just, I was amazed this morning when I was on the Internet and I, I clicked on Fox News World. Okay, see, what's going on in the world? I've been in this little isolation chamber, you know. I don't know what's been happening. Riots in England? (laughs) Wouldn't have predicted that one. Riots in Bolivia? What? (laughs) I didn't see that coming.
1: Our knowledge of the future is fragile at best.
0: Do we not know that we can't see the future? And so we are to be humble when we make our plans. Circumstances change. There are unexpected factors that that arise at times. When the Spanish Armada left Spain to go to England, they thought, we're going to win. We have the best navy in the whole world. We rule the sea. What happened? A storm. They could not anticipate arose and destroyed the Spanish armada before the English came in and took care of the rest. Pride. Things happen in God's providence to strip us of our pride. Not only that, but he says that you are a mist, a vapor. This word is used in uh, other Greek for the the steam that arises from a pot. It's there right now, but in five minutes it's gone. We are a vapor. There's no lasting substance. Transitory is our nature. Here today, gone tomorrow, he wants them to know that they are not as significant as they think they are. And we are not as significant sometimes as we think we are. You know. I think for a moment I, I, I like okay I like sports. So those of you who don't follow sports, don't worry about it. But there's this guy named Frank Reich. How many of you have ever heard of Frank Reich? Man, that's nobody. Man. Well, back in the '90s when the Buffalo Bills were good. As opposed to now, football team, okay? They were getting destroyed in a playoff game. Their star quarterback, Jim Kelly, gets hurt, and the backup quarterback, Frank Reich, comes on. Everyone probably thinks, game over, done. There's no way in the world. And yet, Frank Reich orchestrates the greatest comeback in the history of professional football, particularly in the playoffs. I mean, he's just heaving the ball, leading the team. They're going up and down, scoring left and right, win the game. Now, you might think on the basis of being able to pull that off that he would be Tom Brady before Tom Brady and win all of these titles and all of these things. But Frank Reich, as a starter, was fairly
1: mediocre. He didn't last long.
0: Frank Reich went to seminary because Frank Reich was a Christian. Because I go to RTS, because I went to RTS, and he became the uh, president of RTS Charlotte, I kind of know a little bit about him, and there was one church back in the middle of the previous decade, you know, I applied, and guess who got the job? Frank Reich. (laughs) Man, I'd always wanted to live in Charlotte. Man, cool city. Always want to live there. I'm thinking this is my chance. I'm gonna. I, I can get this. Frank Reich gets the job. He never probably thought he'd ever be a pastor of a PCA church when he was slinging footballs. We just don't know. And yet, how many of you heard of Frank Reich besides Paul? Here today, gone tomorrow. Not only do we think we are more significant than we are, but sometimes we think that things will be more significant than they are. I remember Betamax. (laughs) I worked for Montgomery Ward. We didn't have a VCR yet. And there was the question, VHS, Betamax. Do I go for quality or affordability? I went for quality. In fact, my father still has that Betamax machine all these years later. But you know what? I thought everyone would go beta, and they went VHS. And soon there was almost nothing available in Betamax. Sony, I'm sure, was disappointed. <laughs> Because their market share, we got a better product. You may have had a better product, but that's not the only factor that matters. The unpredictability of things. I've been talking about pride, but there's also sort of the opposite effect. We can also live in fear. And fear also fear about the future can also paralyze people, not that they aim too high, but they don't aim at all. They don't try at all. They just kind of live in their miserable little existence, afraid that they might fail at something. This points us to the reality that our choices are significant. We'll talk about this a little bit more. But, but our choices are not ultimate. Which is exactly where James is going to bring us next. Okay? But humility promotes a more realistic, flexible approach to planning because it remembers that we can't control all of these things. So, just like Mexico, be flexible. Knowing who you are in the big scheme of things should produce humility. Let's move to the last part of what James has to remind us of this morning. And that is, know your Lord to produce confidence. James thinks that they need to look outside of themselves to have a proper understanding of themselves and their lives. And he throws out this phrase, if the Lord wills. Who did he say was the Lord earlier
1: on in verse 1? Chapter 1, James, servant of God and of the
0: Lord Jesus Christ. So he's talking about Jesus, I think, I believe. The idea that Jesus is the one who is in control of our lives, that his will is the one that is ultimate. Your choices may be significant, but his are ultimate. He wills. Think about that for a moment sometimes we sort of act as though, or, or perhaps get into the mindset that God is very passive about things. And almost like our prayers are necessary in the sense of, of God, get off of your passivity stool, get off your barka a lounger and do something, when in fact, God is willing everything that comes to pass all the time. Okay? God is... Actively involved in what happens in space and in time, and what is ultimate is what he has willed to take place. One of the dangers that pops up is the idea that is called open theism, and it is the idea that this that it's it's a philosophical position it's not a really they try to make it a biblical position, but it, it you can't hold any water with it. But the philosophical position is that in order for your choices to be absolutely free, okay, note their presupposition, that it's good for your choices to be absolutely free. In order for your choices to be absolutely free, they cannot be foreknown by God. Okay, this is a reaction to Arminianism, which teaches that, that God elects people on the basis of foreseeing the future, so God is in some ways he's in control of the future, but in some ways he's more responsive to you know what you do. Okay. This is a reaction against that. and so essentially God cannot know the future completely because he cannot know what you are going to choose to do tomorrow until you choose to do it. Does that make sense? I mean, not, not, not like oh, well, that's a cool idea, but you understand what it, what it's trying to say. So what happens is is that your future is not in God's hands; it ultimately ends up being in other people's hands. Okay? We have some people looking for jobs right now. Your future is not in the hands of this 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 person that you sent the resume to. Ultimately, it's in God's hands. Their decision is going to rest ultimately upon the decision that God made before creation. We do not have to live in fear of what these people will do with our application or our superiors at work, in the Air Force, wherever we find ourselves, or for a wife, what our husband might decide to do it rests ultimately upon the will of God, not upon the choices
1: of other people.
0: Because of the will of God, a whole lot of girls said no to me before one said yes. Okay? can't Don't live in fear of the no. Don't live in fear of the no. Say, so scripture, as opposed to, to open theism or Arminianism has a very robust view of Scripture. God's plan, God's purpose prevails. We see it in places like Proverbs 19. Many are the plans in the mind of a man. Okay, Don't most of us make lots of plans? But it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. It's His purpose which prevails. Similarly, in Psalm 127 we read, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor... Uh, sorry, build it, labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. What we do matters, but what God does matters more. And unless He is involved in this process, our plans will not come to pass, but His do, always. Actions and plans will not succeed unless God is also at work. But we see even in this, Psalm 127 cannot be taken to read that, uh, you know, the Lord's going to build the house. So I can sit. Doesn't mean that, uh, you know, when we get, went to Mexico, we sat down and rested because we were trusting God to finish the, the construction project. We trusted God in believing that that, is, that was His will to finish this. We worked. Labored. The watchmen, believing it was a good thing to protect the city, watched. It wasn't like, God's in control. I'll just go to sleep right now because I'm a little bit tired. Okay? So there's this robust idea that takes place in Scripture that God uses means to accomplish His purposes. For instance, God delivering. Israel and numerous other nations from the famine that struck by sending Joseph to Egypt ahead of time.
1: God works out his
0: purposes. And our actions are involved in all of that. Paul had a very similar understanding. It's often, he often expressed this caveat of if the Lord wills. Acts 18 But on taking leave of them, the elders uh, of another city, he said, I will return if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. Romans 1, you are always in my prayers asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you somehow by God's will. Recognized it was not just his own desire that was that was ultimate. 1 Corinthians 4. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon,
1: if the Lord wills. And I will, I will find
0: out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. So we see Paul understood this concept of well. Now, we don't actually have to say, if the Lord wills. It's not a mantra. It's like praying in Jesus' name. You don't actually have to say it all the time for it to be so. But it's the attitude of the heart. That's what matters. That's what James is getting at. A heart that submits to the will of God. It's a sentiment that shapes us. And so we are not to be arrogant on the one hand and we're not to be fearful on the other with regard to the future. But we are to know that God loves us and cares for us, that ultimately it is Christ who wills and He is the one who loved us and gave Himself for us upon the cross. And so it is because of the gospel that we have confidence in the future. That the same God who saves us from our sin will preserve us in the midst of providence. That the God who saves us from our sin will eventually work to provide a job for us. Or whatever it is that we're looking
1: for. He has our best
0: in mind. And so we can be confident Trusting in Him, in all of this. James sort of ends with this idea, this idea of the sins of omission—that the the person who knows the right thing to do but fails to do it sins. Okay, and in the context here, it's essentially the one who knows they they should be humble about their plans but isn't sins. And it's kind of a hinge statement that. Is also going to go with the beginning of chapter five, so we'll we'll, pick, we'll get up, grab that again. But this is really the Proverbs three way. You have that at the very beginning. That's the reflection for today's worship service. If some of you looked at that today, it's Proverbs three. Okay, one of those passages that keeps coming to mind in my life. You know, trust in the Lord.
1: With all your heart. In all your ways,
0: sorry, lean not under on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do you see what, what Proverbs is doing right there? There's a trust, there is a confidence but it is not a trust and reliance upon my own understanding, upon my own wisdom, but upon the person of God.
1: He will make the path
0: straight. Okay? It will get where it's supposed to go. Problem is, I don't always know where it's supposed to go. Right? This is the language of submission to God and his plans to help us to move forward. But first we have to come to become honest with God about when we're leaning on our own understanding, when we're not acknowledging him, when we're trying to make it our own, on our own, by our own wisdom, strength, and power. But when we submit to him, we recognize that the path he picked. When I, did, when I wrote this last week. A little over a week ago, for some reason, I put present tense in there. The past, uh, the the path he picks, was like, no, he's already picked this path. It's past tense. The path he picked for you may not be an obviously prosperous one. I've I've got a little John Piper wrote a little devotional book um, called uh, Life Is a Vapor. And uh, so I was flipping through that because of this text. And I had read it originally in 2004. And I, there was one little meditation that was in there that basically had this idea that um, the path he takes is not necessarily a prosperous one for you. And and at the bottom of the page back then I had written 2004, deciding whether or not to leave Desert uh, Good Shepherd.
1: And I decided to stay, even though it didn't look like a, a prosperous path at that point in time. Because
0: I believe that's where God wanted me. I believe that that's exactly what he willed for me to do, is to stay in that place. Not obviously a prosperous one. The path that he picked for you will, will, however, be one of spiritual growth. Even if it's not successful. Okay? Because God's plans for you are not lots of money, big, big
1: house, healthy. His plans for you are to conform you into the image. Of himself.
0: And there is nothing he won't do to accomplish that, evidenced by the fact that he did not spare
1: his own son. You can't trust him to do what you want. He's not a candy machine Jesus where you put your tithe in and you get your will. That's not how it works. But you can trust Him to do exactly what is best for you. Because believe it or not, He loves you more than you love you. And His love for you is a holy love for you. And He will work all things together according to His good purpose, conforming you into His own likeness whether you like it or not. So start to
0: like it. It goes much easier instead of kicking against the goad. Okay? And so we often approach the future with one of these two extremes, either prideful presumption or paralyzing fear. But when we we believe in the God who wills, okay, when we trust in the God who wills, we are humble knowing that His will is ultimate. When we believe in the God who wills, we are confident, knowing that He is for us. And no one can stand against us. We can move into the future with this humble confidence, knowing our Savior will accomplish His plan for us. Let's pray. Father, As the one who saved us, you are also the one who leads us. Just as you delivered Israel out of the hand of Egypt and led them by the cloud of smoke and fire by night, you lead your people. Help us to trust you and to follow your lead. Help us to put both our pride and our fear to death in the power of the Holy Spirit that they may not rule over us, that they may not lead us into disobedience. But by that same Spirit, we ask that You would produce hope and confidence in us so that we can pursue greater faithfulness as a community of faith. And we ask this in the name of Jesus who loved us and gave Himself for us. And now,
1: lives in us. Amen.